Amen. Good morning. It's good to be back with you today. We have been out, and I say we, meaning the Butler family, have been out the last few weeks on some, uh, just some time away, vacation, and, and time to unplug and unwind a little bit. But I'm excited to be back this morning, back in the pulpit, back at it as we gear up for another school year just around the corner, which means we have a lot of things that are getting ready to happen. And among those, one thing I want to be sure that I talk a little bit about this morning before we really jump into our text is next Sunday, starting next Sunday on August the 16th, we are going to bring back Sunday school on Sunday mornings. And so here's, let's talk just a little bit about what that means for us. Uh, next Sunday, when, when you come in, if you come to Sunday school, we've been having a, a kind of a catch-all class for adults of all ages on Sunday mornings throughout this summer, but now we will again have our various groups meeting in rooms throughout our facility and uh, throughout our building, and that'll be the first time that that's happened on Sunday mornings since all of this madness began back in the month of March, back in, around spring break. We have been meeting with children and our children's ministry and, and our students and student ministry throughout the summer on Wednesday nights. And what they're doing on Wednesday nights will continue rolling as well. But at, excuse me, as of next Sunday, we will be back to doing that on Sunday mornings. Now, let me just say, that's the plan, right? I, I always feel like in this moment, we always have to end any, any statement with, that's our plan. That's what we're planning on doing. And we're, and, and we're, uh, we're, we're moving forward all, uh, you know, all of systems go full steam ahead, however you might want to say that. We're, we're fully geared up and ready for that to happen next Sunday. And so we're excited for that to take place because we, we need each other. We need to be in relationship with each other. We need to spend time together. And, and we don't have to have Sunday school to do that. But it's one of my favorite ways that we do that. And, and certainly it's one of the most intentional and purposeful ways that we do that. Now, there will be some adjustments that we're making. Some of our groups will be temporarily shifted or relocated to allow us to have a proper distance between people because some of our rooms are just small enough that you just can't get people uh, spread out enough given all of the guidelines and things that, that we need to follow. And so you'll see that some of our groups will be shifted and moved a little bit. Uh, you'll, you'll probably, if you're in one of those groups, you'll probably hear from your leadership about that. There'll be a full list this week on our website of some of that. It, we're not talking about uh, any any huge changes, some, some, no doubt. But even as we move forward and we, we cautiously take those steps and, and continue forward in that plan, we want to encourage you, pray, pray that God will, that he'll move through that, that he'll use that in our lives in a significant way. Pray for people to come back. Pray for people as we, as we get ready for school to kick off and other things, as, as we normalize somewhat in the new normal, headed into a new school year. Pray there's going to be a lot of anxiety that people are feeling. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made going into this. There's a lot of groundwork that's been laid, but there's still more work to do in getting ready for this. And so we want to encourage you, just devote this to prayer. Make this something that you would, that you would pray about. And we also want to encourage you, come next week. Now, there's no, I certainly understand if, if some people just aren't ready to be back uh, yet, at least to take that step forward. And, and, and so there's no pressure from anyone. There's no judgment on those who just aren't there yet. But we also want to encourage one another and support one another. And as, as we're able, 
keep taking steps forward in all of this. So we're excited for that to happen next week. And that represents a big step for us. One other piece of the puzzle as it relates to next Sunday will also be promotion Sunday. So for our children's and our student ministries, that will be the first Sunday that that many groups will meet with a new class or new leadership or a new department, if you will. And so we're excited for that as well. But that also means that in some ways, some, some of those students never really had the chance to uh, finish out with their other leaders, or at least not in person, right? At least not in the way that we're used to that happening. And so uh, we're going to try to find our, our, our way forward in all of this and navigate uh, how that will look and what that will look like, certainly as we continue to, to move ahead. But we are planning to promote next Sunday. So that'll be another component of the day that, uh, that, that adds to things, okay? So just want you to know about that, but also want you to commit to pray for that. And we have a few more weeks left this summer in our study through First Peter. That's going to be our text that we're in this morning. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. We've been out of First Peter just a couple of Sundays because I've been gone. And so Corey Kirkland and Tim Russell both filled in over the last few Sundays that I've been gone, did a, did a great job. And today we're back in First Peter and soldiering on. In the next three weeks, we will finish our study through First Peter through the summer. We're calling this encouragement for exiles because Peter addresses his audience as exiles, as strangers, as aliens, as people who are living in a land that is not their home. And that speaks to us as believers because we live in a world that is not our ultimate home. Yes, this is our home where we live. Yes, this is what we know, but this is not our ultimate home. This is not the place where we will be forever. And so we are exiles, the scriptures teach us. We are residents in a place that is not our ultimate belonging, our ultimate, uh, our ultimate dwelling. And, and so how do we live in light of this moment? How do we live in light of the identity that we have as followers of Jesus who live in a world that is not subject to, or at least not, uh, it is subject to his authority. Of course, we know all of creation is subject to his authority, but at least not in this moment, fully subjugated to that authority, that ultimate authority that someday it will be in the, in the final judgment. And so how do we live in light of this moment and, and this time? Well, that's what Peter addresses as he writes to these believers and, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, it continues to speak to us Today. I'm excited for us to look at this particular passage of Scripture. Let's just jump in and read this passage together, and then I have some, some remarks that will kind of get us into this text that we're going to study together. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, Peter writes, Beloved. Now, that's an important word. There are two times in the book of First Peter where he addresses his audience as beloved. And each of those sort of mark off, if you're studying the structure of the, of the book as a whole, sort of major sections of, of the book. And so here we have the second of these two occurrences where Peter says, Beloved, loved ones, those that I love. And, and we know that he loved the church. He loved believers and he speaks to them with all the passion of someone who had, who literally had, had devoted his life to leading the way for the church, had devoted his life to pointing others to Jesus. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he writes here about the sufferings that we will face, the trials that we will face in this moment, in this lifetime. And You know, suffering has been a major theme in the book of 1 Peter. And we've talked a lot about suffering. We've talked a lot about the, the difficulties that we will face. But because it's been a few weeks and we're jumping back in, let's, let's take a moment, let's pause, and let's define what does Peter mean when he uses that word sufferings? What are Sufferings. I think it's important that we understand suffering rightly so that we understand this instruction. Suffering, I think in the context of the way that Peter is using it in, throughout the book, especially in this particular passage that we're studying today, suffering is, is speaking of hardship or difficulty, opposition, or trials that we, that we face. And in fact, in verse 12, he refers to a fiery trial. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, the trials that we face. That's really what sufferings are. In life, there are lots of sufferings that we face. We know that there are lots of Christians and believers who face suffering on account of their faith. And, and I think it's important that we differentiate between sufferings and persecution because we ought not to think that every difficulty, every hardship, every suffering that we face is necessarily persecution. Persecution is a type of suffering, no doubt. And, and even today, there are there are, I mean, this day, as we are gathered or as, in, in, as others gather like this around the world today, there are believers who do so in secret, who do so in opposition and defiance to uh, governments that would, that would openly persecute them or, or civil leadership that would openly persecute them. And we face opposition and we face, we, 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 we certainly feel that even in our culture, in our world, that there is such a, there is such a, a progressively, uh, rapidly changing cultural worldview and the way that that plays itself out in the public sphere that we know that as Christians, we increasingly are under a microscope or under uh, opposition, facing opposition. But that's not the same as as, as outright persecution. Our lives are not on the line, at least not yet. Uh, our, our freedoms are uh, restricted in as much as restricted in as much as certainly there have been uh, guidelines and guidances and things that have been put in place in our state and other states. And there's been lots of, lots of discussion as there ought to be lots of discussion and, and, and lots of, uh, lots of careful attention to those guidances and those things. And, and, and those are difficulties that we're facing in this cultural moment, but let's not equate that with the persecution, say, of believers in sub-Saharan Africa and some nations where they, they rightly face threats of, of, of life for gathering. Let's not, fa let's, let's not equate that with the church in parts of Eastern Asia 
where they gather in secret knowing that if the government found out that they were meeting in the name of Jesus, not only that they could be imprisoned, that they could be, that they could be openly beaten or face other kinds of suffering. Let's not equate that with the gathering of believers in Central Asia and nations of Central Asia where literally their homes might be destroyed, where their property might be seized and taken, where they might be uh, disavowed or disassociated from their family, right? Those things are real and that happens actively. That is happening even today on a global scale. But that's not what we face in America. That's not what we face in Chickasha, Oklahoma. So what does this mean for us? Well, even though it may not mean that our lives are threatened actively, we ought to understand that we will face suffering. We will face hardship and trial. We will face our own forms of fiery trials. And when that happens, the instruction here is that we would be ready, that we would be prepared in order to give a witness, a defense, and and, and to do it all that we might share in rejoicing in the glory of Christ, as it says. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Sometimes we get surprised by things in life, right? This week is a major milestone at the Butler House because this Wednesday, August the 12th, is Rayleigh and I's 20th wedding anniversary. We've been married 20 years as of uh, this coming Wednesday. That's a big deal. That's a big milestone. We had only been dating a few months when we both turned 18. We were high school sweethearts, so sort of. I mean, it was toward the end of our high school years, but we were 17 years old when we started dating. That, even just saying that out loud, kind of freaks me out a little bit because Pike just turned 17 uh, a, a few weeks ago. And so we were as old as my son is now when we started dating years ago. And when I turned 18, way back when, Rayleigh threw a surprise birthday party for me. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever had a surprise birthday party. And so for my 18th birthday, she helped get all of my friends there and and all the moment and they pulled it off. And there was that big, you know, that, that moment that you think of. You walk in the door and I was completely taken aback at a room full of people that I did not expect to be there all saying, surprise, you know. And sometimes life does that to us. Sometimes it's a surprise birthday. Sometimes it's a fun moment, you know, something like that. Sometimes we're surprised by things that are not nearly so fun, that are not nearly so, so enjoyable to, to, to go through. Uh, and when we do face real hardships and real difficulties and real trials that sometimes take us by surprise. But the point of what Peter is writing here is not that we would be uh, ready for any circumstance. There's really no way for us to be ready or prepared for every possible situation or scenario, right? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying But what he's saying is, don't be surprised that when these things happen, that it tests your faith. In fact, be ready for these things to happen. Be ready for your faith to be tested so that when you face those surprises, as you face the fiery trials, you might have prepared yourself ahead of time. You might have prepared your heart. So let's talk about, there there are three ways in these verses that I think he kind of points us to this 
preparedness for the trials that we will face. Three ways that we, that we prepare our hearts, that we prepare our minds, that we prepare our spirits for the, the trials that will come upon us. The, or as he refers to it here, even the, the fiery trial. And, and notice one other thing before we, before we really get into that. That it's not, it's not a matter of if but when, the way that he, that he places this, right? And that's really true. We can all testify to that, I think, in some degree. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's not if we face difficulties and trials. It's really more when we face difficulties and trials. They will come in life. It's a, it's a part of life. It's a part of our existence. It's a part of, of, of our journey that we're all on. It's, it's not a matter of if, but when. And when those trials come to test you, we want to be ready. So the first thing that we see, the first uh, lesson, if you will, that I think Peter points us to is that trials will test your testimony. Trials will test your testimony. When you face trials, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put your witness to the test. That's really the point here. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you. And there it is, to test you. Now, this is just a reality that I, I don't think any of us desire, but one that we, that we need to embrace nonetheless, is that there can be a purpose to our sufferings. There can be a purpose to our pain and our trials that we face, that they will test us. And if we allow them, they will ultimately reveal where our hope and our strength lies. They will show the, the real the real truth about your testimony, right? It will test your testimony. We grow closer to God. We become more dependent upon him in hardship than we do in comfort. That's, that's a reality that we have to, that we have to embrace. That, that we grow closer to God through difficulty and hardship than we do in comfort. Now, what we, what we want is the comfort. What we want are for things to go smoothly and easily. We don't want to face any opposition, any hardship. And I'm right there, by the way. I'm not, I mean, I, that's me. I, I don't like to have sufferings. I don't like to face trials. I don't like to go through hardship. And yet, I can look back at my life and consistently bear witness to this truth that it was in the moments of hardship that I grew closer to the Lord, much more so than in the moments of comfort. It was in those moments of difficulty that I felt like my faith was being tested, that that's when I can say that I discovered that Jesus was all I had, but that he was all I needed, that he was my everything. Trials will test your testimony. Increasingly, we live in a culture where Christians should expect to suffer for, the, for their faith increasingly, right? I mean, it, what's true today in 2020, I, I think if, if, if recent history, if modern history is any indication, I think what we're facing today will only be out, out distance and outpaced by what's coming around the corner. And, and that's a real area of concern for us. It's a real matter of prayer, something that we need to devote ourselves to pray for our nation, pray for our leadership. It's, it's a, real, uh, a real point of action for us as believers that we need to do all that we can in the public sphere to be salt and light, to shine the light of the gospel, to stand for our faith, to actively work 
to show the love of Christ, but to do it in such a way that we're trying to be agents of change and bring about what is, what is good in, in the public sphere, in the public sector, so to speak. But nonetheless, we see increasingly this pattern that's been playing itself out for, well, really honestly, for decades, if not more now, that as there is an erosion of a moral fabric in our culture, increasingly as Christians, we ought not to be surprised when we face opposition and hardship and trial on account of our faith. And Peter's writing to a group who are in the very same situation. Notice what he says in verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now that's a, that's a, that's a hard truth to come to terms with. And yet one that I think we as Christians in this cultural moment need to embrace. That if we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed. Why? Well... Because, because we are facing the very same sufferings, the very same hardships, the very same persecutions, not only as believers who have gone before us maybe have faced, but even Jesus himself suffered willingly. And what's more, we rejoice not in the sufferings, but we rejoice in the fact that through our sufferings, we are able to give testimony to where our hope and our faith truly lie, and that we trust in Jesus. We don't believe that the answer for the problems that we face is a political candidate. That doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that it doesn't matter who's in office. Certainly, that, that matters immensely and greatly. But a, a political party is not the hope for our nation. A political party is not the hope for our world. We don't believe that legislation and laws are the hope. That doesn't mean that legislation and laws don't matter. Certainly they do. They bear all kinds of consequences for our lives. And we ought to actively seek to do all that we can to have influence in those arenas of, of, of our world and our culture. But we understand that, that you can't legislate salvation you can't that that, that uh, uh, you can't sign an executive order bringing salvation to people right and ultimately these things come through faith in Jesus and when we face hardship when we face opposition and even importantly when we face that in the name of Jesus those are the moments when we have the opportunity to shine a spotlight on the hope of the gospel on where our faith truly lies I don't look forward to increasing oppositions and persecutions or sufferings is maybe a better word for our faith. And yet what I know to be true is that we, when we look at other nations around the world where these things are maybe, uh, maybe more of a reality than what we face, we can see that the gospel flourishes under opposition, under persecution. In fact, today, in the world today, the gospel is advancing rapidly in many of the nations where the persecutions are most severe. That's not a coincidence because when people are in those difficult moments, when they're oppressed, they, they learn what, what trusting in Jesus and, and relying on him and looking to him, they, they learn what that's really about. 
God uses trials to prepare us to be his witness. And I think that's the point that Peter's making here. Trials will test your testimony. And if you allow him to, God will use those trials to prepare you to bear witness for the gospel. Secondly, Peter teaches here that trials will teach you what is true. Trials will teach you what is true. It will teach you what really matters. It will teach you where your hope lies. It will teach you what is a true and, 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 and reliable anchor for your life, a proper foundation. Trials will teach you what is true. We're called to share in sufferings for the name of Christ in order that we might also rejoice in his glory, is what he says here, right? Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That name meaning the name Christian. Now, we're, this is something that maybe is a little bit lost on us because we're used to that term Christian. We're used to that label. But you understand in Peter's day, that was a relatively new label, a relatively new term that had been invented really in many ways as a derogatory name or a derogatory nickname even to give followers of Jesus. Oh, those are Christians, which literally means those are little Christs. They're, they're, they're followers of Jesus. And Peter's saying, look, if, if you're suffering for that name, embrace it. Embrace it because in that moment, you will discover what is really true. Sharing doesn't come naturally to us. We want what we want and we don't want to share it with other people. We have to be taught to share. When our kids are little, parents, we have to remind them over and over. And and parents, if you're there, just know you're not alone. Other parents are in the same boat and, and it does get easier. The older they get, I think it does get easier. But especially when our kids are little, it's like, and it feels like all we do is referee uh, some form of, of, uh, of, of uh, fight or conflict over this thing. And a lot of it comes down to people not wanting to share, right? Our little people, not, this is mine, that's mine, this is, you know. It's not natural to us to want to share. It's not natural to us to want to share in the conflict or the struggle or the trials that we face. But yet, What Peter reveals is that when we share in Christ's sufferings, we also get to share in the the power through which he overcame those sufferings. If you look back in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1, in fact, do that. Flip back a few pages and look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verses 7 and 8. He's already pointed to this and and he's just picking that same theme up and and, and using it again. Look at what he says in verse 7. He's talking about various trials that was the very literally the last word in verse six so that the tested genuineness of your faith he writes which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire so there's a picture here of of a refining fire that gold that is that is being heated up to the point that the impurities are being melted off the dross is rising to the surface so to speak that's the that's the metaphor here the trials that we face the persecutions that we face that have this purifying sense he says may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How is it that we can rejoice with joy in the midst of our hardship? It's because we know that those hardships are, are purifying us. That, that our faith, though it's being tested, though by fire even it may seem, that ultimately there's a purifying result. And we want, to, we want to see what is really true and what is really worth building our lives on and what truths can we trust and what truths are worth anchoring our lives to and what hope really brings hope and what, and, and, and what things will really satisfy us in, those, in the, the longings and the darkness. And what Peter is saying is when you, when you trust in Jesus, and, and you follow him and you remain faithful and true to him, even in your trials, then you will discover what is really true. God uses trials to purify us. Suffering strips away our structures of support to show us that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And the third thing that Peter teaches in this is that trials will train you to trust God. So we see that trials will test your testimony. Trials will teach you what is true. And in that sense, trials prepare us. Trials purify us. But then also, trials will train you to trust God. Your trials that you go through will train you. To, and in that way, trials propel us. They prepare us. They purify us. They propel us into the arms of Jesus to trust him, to look to him, because you share in Christ's sufferings, Peter says, you can also share in his reward. What was that reward? Well, the writer of Hebrews literally tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus endured suffering for the joy that would be set before him. What was that joy that would be set before? It was us. It was a relationship with us. It was making a way that we could be forgiven and set free and redeemed from our sin. Jesus endured hardship and suffering and pain, even the cross, in order that he might be able to redeem us from our sin. And there's a joy, there's a reward that comes in that, that we now share in fellowship with him. We share in that glory, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. And so there's a, there can be a purpose to our suffering, that it would, that it would always point us to, to Jesus and that even in our sufferings as we point the way to Jesus, as we shine the light on our hope, as we shine the light on, on, on our, our foundation, which is our faith in Christ, that we would share in his glory. The glory of God rests upon you. Let him glorify God in that name, he says. But then in verse 17, for it's time to judgment to begin, for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey? This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, this is like a, if you can say it this way, uh, he certainly didn't use these words, but Peter is saying, let me get real with you for a moment. Judgment is upon us. We see where things are going. We, we, we have an understanding of what the future holds. 
And in light of this present moment, and in light of judgment that has come, and in light of the sufferings that are awaiting us, he's saying, if, if that judgment is going to strip away all of, our, all of our things that we trust in so that we have to trust fully in Jesus, then it's for God's glory. And how much harder will it be, in fact, for those who don't believe in Jesus, who don't have that foundation, who can't look to him when they go through hardship and they realize that everything they've been trusting in is like sinking sand. And so let us not place our hope in goodness, good deeds. Let us not place our hope in uh, in, in human structures and governmental systems. Let us not place our hope in, in trying to be better or try. Let us place our hope in Jesus so that when we face hardship and difficulty, when we are under the, the, the fires, so to speak, of these trials that come upon us, what shows in our lives is that Jesus is enough. And that we hope in him and his glory would be revealed in us. Therefore, he writes in verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let us entrust our souls to a faithful creator. He says, who suffer here according to God's will. There will be times when we suffer according to God's will. It's God's will to lead us through some some trials, some difficulties, some sufferings in order that we might bear witness to him, that we might be propelled in, in, in such a way, propelled into situations, propelled into circumstances where the genuineness of our faith, the genuineness of our hope and the true strength that is ours because of our faith in Jesus shines for others to see. Let us do good Let us entrust our souls and let us hope in Jesus, he's saying. There's a verse in Romans chapter 5 where Paul echoes many of these same ideas. Paul's writing to a Roman church. Peter's writing to a group of believers scattered in various places, right? Uh, uh, Jews of the, or the the believers of the dispersion, people who are scattered in in what we would call the diaspora. In other words, just a broad group of people in, in various places, exiles, strangers, aliens in many different cities. Paul's writing to a church in Rome, but no doubt, They were facing many of the same hardships, the same situations. And this is how Paul states a very similar idea in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read beginning in verse 3. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we face hardship, when we face suffering and difficulty, that it can produce endurance, character, hope. It can shine the light of Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us. And so as we face the fiery trial that comes on us, let's not be surprised by it, but rather let's trust in him. Let's allow our trials to test our testimony so that we might be prepared to bear witness as he as Peter has already written in chapter 3, verse 15. When we face the fiery trial that comes upon us, let's allow that to teach us 
what is true so that we wouldn't hope in, 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 in false hopes, that we wouldn't hope in things that can really give us no ultimate hope, that we would hope in what is true and what is, what is real. And when we face trials, let's allow those trials to train us, to discipline us, that we might trust in God so that through our trials, we might share in his glory as we, as we hope fully in him. God will use your trials to prepare you to be his witness. He will use your trials to purify your heart, to pur- purify your desires. God will use your trial to propel you into situations that will bring him glory ultimately. May we be ready when the moment is ours. In a moment, we're gonna move into a time of reflection on these truths. At a time where, where we sing a song and it, as we sing that song, we spend some time in prayer and we really reflect on, Lord, what does this look like in my life? How might I prepare my heart for difficulty and hardship that may be waiting for me? And how might I give you glory and shine the light of the hope of Christ in the midst of my hardship and difficulty? And even as we think on that today, may we do so. And, and I'm echoing here the words of Paul writing to the church in Rome knowing that the Spirit of God has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, has been given to us. And may we do so knowing that the Holy Spirit will, will work in us, will shine in us, will, will be at work in us through hardship if we will look to Him and be surrendered to Him. And so I want us to spend a moment in prayer. And then after we, after we pray together, our musicians are going to come. And we're going to spend some time just thinking and reflecting on this. And after we sing this song and have this moment of reflection, I'm going to come back and talk about our response, about how we take next steps of action in response to this. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do pray that you would...